Welcome to DAC Beechcroft's Lawcast. My name is Corinne Slingo, partner in the healthcare regulatory team. Today I'm joined by Professor Ted Baker, Chief Inspector of Hospitals at the Care Quality Commission. In this episode, we'll discuss some of the themes covered in the latest Health Advisor article, Regulation Reimagined, including exploring how the CQC is currently adapting to support healthcare transformation. If I could just make a start, Ted, then firstly, thank you very much indeed for your time today. We wanted to just build on some of the themes that had come out of a recent article you very kindly contributed to and really want to just chat with you around how the CQC is evolving and adapting to really support healthcare transformation as we now see it in 2021 and beyond. So if I could just invite you, first of all, to just understand how is that support to transformation of healthcare reflected in your CQC strategy document? Thank you, Corinne. I've been an advocate for a long time about the need for services, for health services to transform, to meet the needs of the population as we have now, not the population as it was a few years ago. And so we as a regulator want to encourage that improvement and transformation of services. But we recognise that if we want the services to transform, we've got to transform ourselves. And so we are going through a very ambitious new strategy with a transformation programme to drive that strategy at present in the CQC. And the CQC is changing quite markedly at the moment. And in many ways, the pandemic, which we've just come through, or which we're still going through, in fact, is helping us drive that transformation because it is challenging us on a daily basis to how we can be an effective regulator to services that are under intense pressure, but also in the environment where we want to protect uh, services from undue risk from us doing unnecessary inspections and that kind of thing. And during the pandemic, we wanted to be as supportive as possible. And I suppose my starting position is very much that we need to get into a position where we are in partnership with providers rather than seen, if you like, as against providers or getting in providers' ways. We want them to transform. We've got to understand that we and providers have a common purpose. We want to provide high-quality care to people who need health care. We've got to build together to make sure that we're doing that. Our strategy is very much built around that concept of how can we be a supportive regulator going forward. Now, of course, we still need to do regulation, but we want to do it in a way that encourages services to transform, to improve on a daily basis. And we see that uh, from what we do as a regulator, that support for improvement is a really very important part of what we do. And our new strategy has four themes. And those four themes are, first of all, people and communities. And that is about listening to people in the communities about their experiences of healthcare and their needs for healthcare. And I suppose it is for us as a regulator to listen, but also to encourage providers to listen to those people. And I think what I say to my colleagues here at the CQC time and time again is our voice is most important when it is reflecting the voices and concerns of people who are using services. And we as a regulator need to be a voice for people who need care and are experiencing difficulties with care. And that's really very important. But equally, we need to understand care through the eyes of communities. And one of the things that this has become clear to us over the last few years, and it's been demonstrated again by the pandemic, is that one of the elements of quality that we don't get right as a system is addressing health inequalities, making sure that everyone in communities is getting access to the health they need and to the chance of getting the best possible 
clinical outcomes. So people and community is a big theme. We have a theme around smarter regulation, and that is about, if you like, reducing the burden of regulation by becoming a more digitally focused, intelligence-driven organisation. And we're exploring a, a new regulatory platform, which will be rolling out in 2022, which is going to be feel very different from the provider's perspective in terms of their interaction with us. We hope much more supportive, but giving us confidence that we're seeing and understanding risk in the system. The third theme is safety through learning, and this is very much central to what I think needs to change in the health services and social care as well. And that is we need to take a different approach to safety. We need to take an approach that is driven by learning rather than an approach that is driven by recrimination and blame and defensiveness when things go wrong. We want services to change, but in order for services to change their culture, we as a regulator need to look at our culture and our understanding of risk and how you can learn from uh, safety incidents. And the final theme is accelerating improvement, which comes back to what I was saying a moment ago. We as a regulator want to see services improve. Now, we're not an improvement agency. We're not there to give people advice about how to improve. We're there as a regulator to create an environment in which people can find that advice and providers can get the support they need to improve. So one of the things we want to do is to make sure that providers in all sectors have access to the improvement support they want to go forward so that we as a regulator can, if you like, provide that external assurance of quality at the same time as the providers got the support they need to drive the improvements necessary. So those four themes come together in our new strategy. The CQC is going to be approaching regulation in a very different way. And I think providers will experience interactions with the CQC in a very different way going forward. They've seen some of that already during the pandemic, where we've had to adapt very quickly to the changing circumstances. And I think for us, it's been an opportunity to learn to be a more effective regulator going forward. Thank you, Ted. There's a lot in there that I'd just like to unpack a few elements of, if that's okay. So A strong theme throughout the strategy and your summary of it just now is the support that the CQC wants to give to its registered providers. And I think everyone will completely understand that a regulator can only go so far because at the end of the day, you are there to regulate. But I think that that's been really welcomed in terms of a new type of relationship between the providers and the CQC. If I can ask, obviously, there's going to be lots of components to that, but it's quite a big shift How will that look and feel to the providers on the ground, do you think? We want the providers to see their contacts with the CQC, predominantly their relationship owner, as an opportunity, if you like, to discuss the problems they face. And we as a regulator need to be understanding of the environment in which providers operate. And what I say to providers when I talk to them, as I often do, is, look, we don't expect you not to have safety or clinical quality problems. We recognise that healthcare is enormously complex and there are always going to be problems. We as a regulator don't want you to tell us there are no problems. We want you to be able to describe the problems you've got and share with us how you're addressing those problems, whatever they may be. And so we can be confident that you have a good assessment of the problems, the concerns in your service, and you are dealing with them effectively. And we can help signpost you towards other providers or other support you might need to address those problems. And what we are doing as a regulator is if you like giving that objective external view. So we're not, if you like, always going to agree with you. We want to be able to challenge you. Have you identified these issues? Are you dealing with them? Are your plans in place sufficient to drive the improvements you think they are? That challenge is going to be a very important part of what we do. But we recognise that regulation in the kind of traditional form of just applying the regulations using enforcement action 
is necessary and is always going to be necessary. We're not going to stop using that. But ultimately, to drive improvement, we need to go further than that. We need to develop this supportive relationship. During the pandemic, our relationship has been very much along those lines. For instance, when the initial stages of the pandemic came out, we developed with NHS Improvement a framework for assessing infection prevention and control in trusts in the light of the COVID pandemic. And we rang up and discussed with trusts individually how they were using that framework to drive the quality of infection prevention control in those organisations. And that was a supportive phone call. It was meant to help them find solutions and point them in the right direction if they felt they had particular difficulties they couldn't address themselves. So I think that's going to feel very different going forward, Corinne. Excellent. And you mentioned the pandemic. Obviously, it would be difficult to discuss change and transformation without thinking about the legacy that the pandemic will leave for the entire health and social care sector. I was really interested at your reference to some of the things that really worked very well and the support that CQC gave. Are there any positive learning points from your perspective about how that relationship between regulator and regulated will evolve in the coming years that specifically could be drawn out of your experience in the pandemic, the things you really want to hang on to? Well, I'd highlight two. First of all, something that has become very clear during the pandemic, I think a lot of providers have experienced this, is the need for collaboration between providers and the different parts of the system, between different health providers, between health and social care, between primary medical services and acute services, between acute and mental health. And where we've seen that done well, this has been really powerful in helping those providers address the problems of the pandemic and make sure that the patients are getting really joined up care. We recognise that system solutions, that individual providers can't solve all the problems they face. They need to work effectively in systems. And with the developing of integrated care systems, which we very much welcome, there is a real opportunity for those systems to come together and drive really effective joined up care for patients and populations. And we as a regulator need to relate to that. We will still, in statutory terms, be a regulator of individual providers, but we want to look at those providers through a system lens and challenge them to be effective members and collaborators within the systems they operate. And I think that's going to be important for us. We've got to start being system focused as much as provider focused, and we've got to adapt our approach to individual providers so that it is taking a system focus. I think that is a challenge for us. And it's something we've learned during the pandemic, that collaboration is really critical in driving that consistent care going forward. That's a very important aspect of it. The second point I'd like to highlight is during the pandemic, I spent some time working with some of the new services being set up, such as Nightingale Hospitals, where staff from different providers were coming together to develop really new services. Now, the Nightingale Hospitals never really took off because the volume of care that they needed to provide was really not necessary. But the model they developed of learning, of bedside learning, so that safety was being driven positively every day was extremely powerful. I learned from that, seeing what they were doing. And I've been encouraging providers who were involved in those pilots in the Nightingale hospitals to take that learning into their long-term work and into their normal services. And I think there's a real opportunity for us as a regulator to recognise the importance of that culture of bedside learning. And I think that could be transformative for the safety of services if it's really driven forward. And that was a real if you like, new learning for me during the pandemic. And I think learning for those services that experienced it. I think you're absolutely right. That ties in and chimes nicely with the learning as a result of patient safety concerns and issues rather than 
as I read it, sort of following process and just doing certain things. So investigating in a particular way to arrive at an endpoint, actually driving that culture of learning through safety issues and really grappling with it. I think that fits with your bedside learning as well. And I suspect there's a pace issue to how that happens in a calmer time when everyone's putting their backs to the effort of trying to get rid of a backlog and everything that's the legacy to the pandemic. But it's a useful thing to grapple with and to hang on to, as you say. I was just moving on to the very point around ICS and, and health inequalities and saying that obviously the emergence of your five-year strategy and the health and care bill, obviously there are a number of areas where they quite naturally and properly overlap and, and one would certainly hope the two had been thought of together. There's two issues arising from that. Firstly, to what extent to think the CQC is going to be able to help providers tackle health inequalities? How will that shape itself? And if I start with that, I'll come to my second point in a sec. I think the focus on health inequalities is important. And as I said earlier on, I think there's this real sense that you can't say you have high quality care unless you're providing good care for the whole population you serve. And I think the way we can help is one, by identifying good practice. And we're already doing that, for instance, in maternity services, where we're producing a report that actually does exactly that so that maternity services can learn from one another but also by asking and challenging the right questions. Our new assessment framework, we're still going to have our new assessment framework, we're still going to have the five key questions that everyone knows, but the framework supporting those is going to change and it is going to be focusing on safety culture, which we've already just talked about, but also health inequalities and challenging services to have the right health inequalities. And I know many services have found our assessment framework as a useful tool for them to assess and develop their own services. So I'm very much hoping that our assessment framework, which will be focusing on the things we think are really transformative, can be used by services, not just to prepare for the CQC inspection, which is really not the point, but to actually to drive improvement themselves. And so that framework, I hope, will be a real useful tool. The end point for any regulatory relationship is that you don't simply react to the periodic inspections, but that it's a constant evolving process where it becomes simply second nature to be able to advise the regulator of what you're doing and how you're doing it rather than it become a test to pass. I'm sure that relationship is where you would like to go. That's entirely right, Karina. And our new regulatory platform will be very different in that regard. We want to move away from the intermittent big inspection to a much more continuous process of communication and support, but giving us assurance that services are doing the right thing. And so there's going to be a much closer communication around that. We will still be doing inspections and no one should take away from this that we're not going to do inspections. I think we have learned that actually observing care directly, talking to frontline staff, talking to patients is important. But I think the big set piece inspections will become much less likely. And the thing that we've learned from inspections is that the well-led key question is the absolute key. Because if an organisation has the right leadership and the right culture and the right values, then that drives all the other key questions, uh, elements of quality in the right direction as well. And so we're going to increasingly focus on that well-led assessment, but support it by looking at other aspects of individual services to, if you like, validate the well-led assessment. So the inspections are going to become much less set piece and, if you like, an opportunity for organisations to prepare and just meet the CQC's expectations. What we want to do is get into a relationship with the providers where they are setting their own expectations and giving us confidence that by doing so, they're really delivering high quality care. 
Yes, and that word confidence is certainly something that we regularly discuss with clients because if a regulator loses confidence, then nothing good will come of that. And it's a, it's a tricky place to be. I think that's entirely right, Corinne. The one thing that causes us to lose confidence as a provider is when the provider becomes very defensive and won't communicate with us as a regulator. Because as I say, we are not asking providers to tell us they don't have any problems. We're just asking them to give us confidence they recognise the problems and are addressing them. That's the point. So confidence through transparency and decent routes for assurance through your data gathering, as well as some continued inspection. Is that what the provider population can hope and aspire to? We've become much more digitally focused, and I think we were wanting to look at that data much more continuously rather than intermittently. And so often the discussion is going to be, we've seen this in your data. Have you seen it? And what do you think it means? And what are you doing about it? Rather than us doing a kind of inspection just because we found problems. And if we have confidence in the leadership of an organisation, that discussion is much easier to have. And, you know, we are going to see perturbations in the data. We may see things before the provider does. And, you know, that's part of the way we can support their improvement. But what we need to do is be confident that they will address them when we see them. And one thing that came out, I think, at consultation phase around this sort of new continuous monitoring approach, that there was a real concern around whether real-time ratings could go back up as well as just go down if there's a problem. And I think your publication in August sort of helped respond to that quite helpfully with two triggers. And I think that the provider population will be pleased to see how that evolves going forward in terms of if you've got concerns, ratings might go down if there's evidence for it, but also if a provider has taken some real action and and positively improved, that might also put them the other way and go up. So I think that evolution of ratings over time is going to be really interesting for everyone to watch. And I suspect it's a little bit of a test ground for you as well. It very much is. And we've got to be careful and do this incrementally, carefully, make sure the ratings remain very secure. Everyone's confident in the ratings, but we wanted the ratings to be more dynamic and we want to be able to demonstrate improvement as soon as it occurs rather than waiting for the next inspection cycle. We've got that feedback from providers who are keen to say, look, we've put the things right you told us about. Can you update our rating? And we have to say, we'll wait for the next inspection. And in the past, we've been limited to changing ratings on the back of an inspection. We want to move to a situation where we can change ratings much more dynamically. But equally, we've got to maintain the rigour of those ratings. And I think that's the challenge for us as the regulator. Absolutely. And if I can just finish with one last observation or question, Ted, you've described an awful lot around how the CQC is going to transform itself and and its approach. We started in this discussion around how, as a regulator, you can support transformation in the wider system. Is the CQC self-transformation just step one? and supporting the wider system transformation follows on from that. How do the two elements link together? I think the two elements run in parallel. I don't see it as sequential. Our strategy is nominally five years, although essentially we will continue doing it as long as we want to stick with this strategy. So we see transformation as not an end point. We see it as a continuous improvement in what we do. And I suppose we're looking for that in terms of providers and systems as well. So ICSs will be starting in the new year and it's very important that they start with a view to focusing on the things that do need to transform. Some of the problems we've seen during the pandemic around elective care, around emergency care, for instance, 
are problems that existed before the pandemic, but because services, if you like, had accepted problems and not seen them as reasons to transform, when the pandemic came, they were exacerbated. And so we need to face up to the fact that those services need to be transformed if they are going to be fit to manage the care of the population going forward. So we don't want to see anyone waiting for us, if you like, to give the signal for transformation. We want them to go ahead with it and we want to support them. And I think, you know, the feedback to us as a CQC, as the regulator is, if we're getting in the way of transformation, tell us. We don't want to be a regulator that, if you like, creates barriers to transformation. We want a regulator that encourages transformation. Yes. And I think there's been a perception occasionally of that, for example, when you've got restructuring within the health and social care arrangements with each other. The point you very validly made earlier about we're still dealing with registered providers at a provider level, but you're trying to look through a system lens. That's incredibly challenging in and of itself. I will look forward to how you deliver that because I think that's going to be really interesting. But we can't change the fabric of who is the registrant at this point and you're not planning to. No, no, that'd be a relatively major legislative change, Corinne. And, you know, we don't want to wait until things like that happen before we change. We want to move forward and we want to use our current regulatory framework in a more imaginative, innovative way to drive the change we want to see. I'm hugely grateful, Ted, for your insights on that. I think we have some really interesting times ahead, both within the provider side and also seeing how you evolve as a regulator. So thank you very much indeed for your time. You can keep in touch with our content at www.dacbeachcroft.com forward slash health advisor for the latest insight, foresight and thought provoking articles for health and social care professionals. <laughs>